Hello and welcome to the Emerging Cricket Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Skinner, and today, introducing another slightly disjointed show, but at least Tim Cutler and Daniel Beswick were able to get together in the same room and record their thoughts from on the ground in Papua New Guinea at the East Asia Pacific Regional Finals. But before we hear from them, there are some results coming in from various qualification tournaments to run through. Firstly, in Port Moresby, uh, the hosts PNG have delighted the energetic home crowd as they clinched passage through to the T20 World Cup next year, confirming their participation with a game to spare as they went undefeated in the first five matches of the double round-robin format. Uh, Japan, at the time of recording, sat in second place with three wins and two losses, uh, one each against PNG and Vanuatu. While Vanuatu have been a little disappointing, it must be said, uh, winning only one game against Japan so far, and the Philippines at this point are equal bottom with a single victory against Vanuatu. Over in Scotland, meanwhile, and the European regional finals are going on, it was another successful outing for hosts. Uh, So Scotland, along with Ireland, uh, wrapped up their passage to the 2024 T20 World Cup by going undefeated in their first five matches. The pair met on the last day, where Scotland pushed past the visitors with a dominant display of batting. The best of the rest in the field was Italy, who finished third, followed by Jersey, Germany, Denmark and Austria, who ended not winning a single game. Meanwhile, Malaysia is hosting Group B of the Asian sub-regionals, with a single place in the regional T20 World Cup qualifying final on the line. The hosts have run out to an early lead with crushing victories over China and Bhutan, Uh, Thailand have also started strongly, thrashing China and Myanmar. They'll meet Malaysia on the last day in what looks to be a de facto knockout to determine who goes to the Asian regional final. And the tournament wraps up on the 1st of August. And in Tanzania, Namibia have sewn up their spot at the Men's Under-19s World Cup next year with a convincing display in the African regional final. Namibia cruised undefeated to the top of the table with a game in hand, and when closest rivals Uganda stumbled against Kenya, it meant that they were unable to overtake the Junior Eagles. Uh, This will, of course, be Namibia's first appearance at the tournament since 2018, with Uganda and Nigeria coming out of the very competitive African region in the past two editions. And now, it's time to hear from Bez and Tim. Coming in live from room 617 at the Hilton in Port Moresby. A very warm welcome to everyone around the world listening to a slightly different Emerging Cricket podcast. I don't think we're going to call this one episode 200 either. I know that we are threatening to do so. Uh, Episode 199, part 3, part C, however you want to call it. Joined uh, by Tim Cutler, who has actually welcomed me into his hotel room to discuss all things Emerging Cricket. Uh, shout out to Nick too. We had tried to line up to get the three of us all talking at once, but the time difference hasn't been too good. So once again, this will likely be a bit of a mishmash of things. But uh, sharing a mic uh, with Tim Cutler, CEO of Vanuatu Cricket, here at the East Asia Pacific Regional Final for the ICC Men's T20 World Cup. It's been a campaign of disappointment, I suppose we'll say, Tim. We'll get that get to that in a moment, but... Uh, Tim, uh, it's good to actually be recording a podcast with you. It's much easier gauging body language and emotion from you in person, in situ, rather than on the other side of a Zoom call uh, across the Pacific Ocean. But Tim, uh, campaign here probably hasn't got off to the the greatest of starts as we move two-thirds into the tournament now at the time of recording. But uh, how's things, sir? I guess the fact that you are... 
uh, here next to me with my negative body language with uh, arms folded and constantly shaking head. I think that probably lets you know how I'm feeling. But uh, yes, I agree. I think the last time we did this together was across your kitchen table, wasn't it, with the... uh, the three of us in one room before Nick moved to Iceland. But yes, um, I don't know. Lots of emotions were really excited coming into this event. We didn't have a perfect preparation with four of our best players going off to Queensland to pick fruit for the last few months, but we were able to negotiate with them in a partnership with their employee to employer, I should say, to get them to... Vila early and to get them as part of the squad and you know, new coach Chris Laffin and assistant Jeff Cook who'd originally come over as coach of the Australian Mandarin Indigenous team um, is there assisting and they were over the moon with how the team had trained and even our first well, two training sessions that we had here in Moresby as well before the first game but unfortunately that potential and that talent that the, the team had just didn't translate into on-field performance and you know we're staring down the barrel now four games four losses with only matches against Japan and the Philippines to go and some you know from people watching the stream some really disappointing performances that don't really reflect the potential that the Vanuatu players have. I was on the beat at Vanuatu training in the build-up to the tournament and I have to say you guys look relatively sharp as did uh, Japan, from what I saw, and Papua New Guinea. Papua New Guinea have been rather emphatic in this tournament, four from four, and seemingly running away with it. And if you were to look at the scorecards, you would probably think that it's been four easy victories, but there have been moments where they have been put in a little nook or a little corner and have just managed to do enough to wriggle themselves out. In the end, looking at the scenarios here, it's Japan that the only team that can cause a serious challenge and they will need the help not only of a, of a win tomorrow as we are recording on the rest day before the last two matches each team plays but also a big net run rate boost and they need Papua New Guinea to drop points as well. Um, from a Philippines standpoint, I managed to get the win over Vanuatu in a close run match, probably the closest match of the tournament and again, looking at that particular score they chased that down with two and a bit overs left but it took a late flurry from Miggy Podoski uh, to get them over the line there going through the table Papua New Guinea four wins from four eight points have had a great crowd here in uh, Port Moresby and at Amini Park we'll talk about that in a moment Japan has mentioned three wins just that defeat to uh, PNG Philippines one win and Vanuatu O from four and as mentioned the energy in the build-up to the tournament from a Vanuatu point of view, I'd say from the outside looking in, but also talking to a number of uh, your group in the build-up, the energy was good. The idea was we've got bowling variations. We can use spin if we need to. We've got the pace bowling options if we need to. And then with the bat, everyone can sort of bat all the way down to 9 and 10. I think the slow nature of the pitches here at Amini Park has probably been something that hasn't gone in Vanuatu's favour per se in the home conditions uh, certainly been played out really well from a PNG standpoint also making the most of that constant breeze that comes across the ground and I think we've mentioned it on commentary it would be about 50 times it, such is the nature of, of the beast and just how hard it blows uh, 
across the ground. But looking at Papua New Guinea, Tim, you would think now that barring you know some sort of net run rate miracle, they would go through. But I think, hand on heart, they have shown that even at this level, if things go in opposition's way, they aren't untouchable, they aren't unbeatable. Um, we've seen the emergence of someone like John Carrico, the left-arm orthodox spinner, who just gives them a little bit more with the ball. But uh, on the batting side of things, if you take, say, the early wicket of Asad Valley, you know Tony Uru is going to give you chances in the field. Uh, looking you know, further down that batting order as well, Kipling Dariga has given his wicket away a couple of times. We saw Legacy Yaka and Hiri Hiri almost bail them out of trouble in uh, one match that I can think of. I think it was against Japan as well. But maybe just to bring it back to, to Vanuatu and to kind of tie a bow on the campaign thus far, from the batting side of things, it's been hard to bat at a strike rate above 100. We have seen a lot of low scores here, but then taking of chances is something that's been a, a big emphasis. And Alan Kerr actually in the build-up to this tournament said that you know it's not a one or two percenter, it's more of a 10 to 15, 20 percent difference it can make and looking back at one particular game where your boys Tim dropped points to the Philippines where the three players who went on and made important starts in that match were all given chances early uh, and as a result they all made the most of those and in the end got over that uh, over the line in that particular game between between you and them yeah and also the game against Japan where if a catch is taken to a, a sky ball to mid off around you know, Japan are four for 17 and, and reeling even more so than they were at three for 17 at the time. And that partnership went on to put on 43 and got them a bit of a roll on and they scrambled, you know, thanks to, to Kendall Fleming. Um, he held the innings together. Uh, but if those wickets are falling at the other end. You know, the, their star player can only do so much. So for them to scramble to 130, <clears throat> excuse me, and then Vanuatu to only get sort of one ten ish. Um yeah, and you mentioned the game against the Philippines as well to you know, like sitters being dropped by players that you'd expect to to catch those balls a hundred out of a hundred have been sort of heartbreaking. Just what you you don't need on top of the struggles with the bat. You know, with the ball, we've been really good. Um, and we've got better as the games have gone on. And I think it just shows the benefit that PNG has that they've played so much cricket together that they are just rolling into their plans and we noticed that watching them um yesterday or in that that game four in that they're not no one's telling them to go anywhere everybody knows what position to be in to what bowler to what batter they've just played so many so much cricket and so many games together and know each other's plans that you're not having to to go through these things again and, and we've gone through a real period of learning as a squad together with a new coach that there's still a lot a long way to go and I think we saw that in game four it was a lot better performance against PNG you mentioned those names of um, Ura, Dariga and Vala you know we, we picked up um, Ura fairly cheaply again you know the two games that we've played he's only got 30 runs across those two innings and Dariga similar um, and we did the job really well and probably had our best performance so far with the with the ball and in the field I don't, don't think we dropped a, a catch either so it just sort of shows that we probably had the performance in day four match four than we would have liked to have in day one and even though we went down um, by 39 runs I think it was a performance that 
we were really happy with, especially with the ball on the field and a lot more fighting with the bat. But as you said about the the batting order, you know, only two of our batters in the in the top nine have scored at over a hundred, and that makes it really tough when you're trying to keep the scoreboard ticking over and when you've come in this, from a situation with players with a lot more power hitting, how they have struggled to adjust to, I'd say, surprisingly slow conditions here. I think the three touring teams coming in have re- really been surprised with just how I don't tennis ball-y and thatchy this wicket is. I know the, the groundsman's come in and late and had a short time to prepare this wicket but I think we all expected a wicket with a lot more consistent fast pace and a lot harder um, there's been a lot in it for the for the spinners and I think I'd almost say there's been too much from from day one so I think that's been a, a bit of a disappointment I'd have to say for, for this event and it's not that you want to be going out there on the on the Hume Highway and having scores of 200 plus and bowlers being hit everywhere like you said they've already got the, the variable of the, the weather with the wind that that brings into this um this field, but the, none of us had a chance to train on the on the on the centre and on, only in the nets. And I think it's definitely taken the touring teams a long time to to adjust to the wicket. And I think that's telling um, that the highest scores have only been the one sixties, and that's been scored by Japan once in Game One against the Philippines, and then um, by PNG a, a couple of times. You know, we're not seeing run rates of of nine and ten consistently held. It's really been a lot of games of moments, and I, it's actually reminded me a lot more of of watching kind of high-class um, associate women's cricket where it's really a couple of moments that can turn games. We don't have six, seven, eight, nine overs that are going for eight, nine, tens. It's the, the couple of bad overs that are making such a big difference and it's a real, the, the margins are, are so much smaller um, that just shows that when there is a drop catch, and I think Alan was, was bang on as he is with many things, that it makes such a big difference because you can't get away with, with with things here because like I said those 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 moments mean so much more so trying to adjust game plans to that when we've got as you say a batting lineup of, of eight that hit the ball generally so well and, and you'd say could bat anywhere we've had to readjust because a lot of the batters are really struggling to hit the ball off the square you know we're seeing a guy like Junior um, who opened in the sub-regional and generally that's his bread and butter being able to turn the strike over but he's scoring it at less than 50 um, and he was dropped for the last game it's really hard when you're trying to get a move on and as we know especially in t20 cricket when you've got a batter at one end chewing up balls the pressure then then that puts on the batter at the other end and i think we're seeing narlin um, really suffering from that because when he gets on strike you know the team's in a bit of a hole because you've had a period of four or five dots so it's it's been Difficult to watch, and I think very much so for two new coaches that were so excited about the, the talent that they saw and, and I think had a genuine belief looking at PNG's results and form coming into this, the teams that they played against, that not only were they right for the picking, but our team was at a real level where they could they get, could go forward from this event um, uh, and beat PNG for the first time, but also go on and win the event. few points to take out of all that. I'll start with the wicket. Consistency across the square and across the wickets looks good, but if anything, as you said, it's a little bit thatchy. The length of the grass is maybe a fraction too long, and we haven't had rain here in Port Moresby, I'm told, for about three and a half weeks, and it's been super dry. And the way that the square's been allocated in terms of matches for the tournament, the first two days are played being played on the center square of a uh, center wicket of the square. The second third of the tournament has been played on this particular pitch that I think 
out of the two has probably been a little bit harder to bat on, if anything, and then yet to be seen what it's going to look like on the last two days of play here, but you would wager that it would be of a similar nature. And it's been tricky because you look at the scores and people will look at the scores on wherever they do get their scores, whether it's Crick Info or the ICC side or even Crick Clubs and whatever, and they would look at the scores and be like, well, there hasn't been a whole lot of batting quality here. But to be honest, just just being the added challenge and the added factor that you have to bring into this, and then you add another dimension of the wind that's just been blowing across the ground and it completely warps the dimensions of the ground. If you try and hit on the up, say over mid-off to cover, maybe cover point at one end... And if you hit it high enough, the ball actually just, quite frankly, just stays and, and hovers in the air and the fielders can actually run back and, and take a catch. A couple of batters over the course of the tournament have actually fallen into that trap and a couple of really good players too. You know, Kendall Kadawaki Fleming, who is leading the tournament runs tally, has fallen into that trap uh, once here as well. PNG, an interesting lineup, and as we mentioned at the top, they have at times found themselves in spots of bother in certain situations and they've just done enough to dig themselves out. I think hand on heart, and I think it's a pretty fair assessment to say that 1 to 11, they have the best individual talent. And as you mentioned, they're so well drilled at this point and they've played so many international matches that it's become very much a routine for them. They've been able to dictate quite a bit on their terms. Uh, they can go through their, their motions, their own bowling changes. Assad's been very clever in the way he's gone about things. He's made runs of his own as well. Now, you know, talking to the guys at Japan, they're plotting how they're going to beat PNG on the last day. Even if they do beat them, one, they've got to beat them with such a net run rate boost that they can overtake Papua New Guinea on net run rate. But it might come to the stage where we get the calculators out at the end of, say, tomorrow, and it's physically impossible for them to turn them over on net run rate, even if they were to chase down a total in 10 balls or they were able to win by 300 runs, you know, just eyeballing those net run rate numbers at the moment. But a positive of PNG, I think, has just been the addition of a little bit of youth in the squad. I think we uh, we looked at the squad being picked and... Chad Soper was a big omission. We also saw Jason Keeler left out of the squad. You know, Chad is an experienced campaigner and he would have absolutely loved playing on this surface. I think a slow deck and a guy that just moves it this way and that, he would have taken a lot of wickets. But a, a young man who is in the squad and leading the wicket tally for the tournament is the left-arm orthodox of John Carrico. And on T20I debut, he managed to pick up three for six off four overs. Um, and he's been... Followed up by a few other PNG bowlers. Kabu of Aguimarea took a hat-trick and 5 for 9 against the Philippines. We've seen CJ Amini, I think, actually find his lengths and his rhythm in his legs. Been bowling again and talking to his father on commentary for the week, which has been a joy as well. Need to give uh, Charles Amini Sr. a huge shout-out, not only for his commentary, but also helping to transport me once or twice here at the at the tournament. Um, an outstanding figure in... PNG sport and in cricket, but Charles Senior has and I. I think we've been pretty fair assessors of CJ Amini's bowling, which has uh, been good at this particular tournament. He also finished not out with the bat yesterday, albeit with a a chance or two. But 
just the influx of a left-arm orthodox spinner, Tim, I don't need to tell you how good left-arm orthodox spinners can be for teams, as I've seen you sort of practice in the nets in the build-up to this particular tournament, and they seem to be coming out well in your own right. But someone like John Carrico, just a breath of fresh air in this PNG group. You know, they've had 14 or 15 guys that have been basically the, the, the base of PNG cricket. And if, you, you know, you lose a couple of guys to injury, they've been... Uh, under par at the next level of international cricket. But even when they have been missing guys, not only Soper, but Sese Baum missed the first two games, we understand that that might have been uh, actually down to not disciplinary issues, more just disciplinary is probably a strong word, but he's been late to training and late to meetings. And that's why I think he sat out early in the tournament. And then we saw uh, Sema Kamea actually uh, pick up a slight knock before the tournament started as well. And he's come in and he's probably the quickest bowler here. Um, I'm looking at your screen here. Kepler Lukey's another left-arm orthodox spinner that we'll be impressed by for the Philippines. We'll probably talk about him when we do wrap Philippines. But to go back to PNG, Carrico in, Sema Kamea once again ticking all the boxes required of him. They're doing just enough with the bat. Hiri Hiri has emerged as a guy who has added a little bit more to his batting. Sese Bao came back and made an impact and Legacy Arc has been busy, proactive in the middle overs, turning the strike over. I remember one particular innings here at this tournament. I can't remember who it was against. It might have been against uh, the Philippines where he made 40 maybe. Need to double-check that. But one innings in particular, Legacy Arca, where I think he made 40-odd off about 36 deliveries. But even if he took his three boundaries away, he was still going at better than a runner ball. So PNG, you would think, would qualify here barring a miracle. But... If they were to go to the next level again, granted they came into the 2021 T20 World Cup with uh, bereavement, a number of uh, deaths in families involved with PNG cricket and COVID was a terrible way for them to lead into that tournament. So you would think that they'd come in uh, a little bit stronger this time around, but they'd probably need to iron out one or two little things once they go to the next level, even though they are the best team here. Yes, and as you said, they had a terrible lead into the last one, so it's hard to use that as a as a litmus, and especially when they won through from the UAE in 2019, thinking they were going to get as close as you could say to a home World Cup in playing in Australia, and then it was yeah. changed to India, and then it was changed to, to the UAE, and then Oman, yeah. which meant that they didn't have any local support whatsoever, and playing in familiar, yet very foreign um conditions and a long way from home during such a, a tough time but yes I think it just shows that this event Hiri Hiri is a great example of someone who's played a lot of bit part roles in the last couple of years being used up the order both in T20 and 50 over cricket um, Kiplin Dariga as well who's sort of slipped up and down the the order over the the course of the last few years looks like he's now found a place at the at the top of the order but I guess the advantage that, that PNG has that they've got a lot more cricket together despite them falling back out of League Two and although that's now resting until after the next World Cup, they they literally get on a plane the day after this event ends to fly down to Darwin to play in a top-end series and it just shows that the advantages that this has for teams to be playing this much cricket together, that they can come together like this and perform probably not outstandingly at, at all you know, Asad Vala's scored at it around a runner ball and we probably um, expect a lot more from him in that 
in that uh, in that role number three being able to control the game but he's just done enough I think would be the fair the best way to say but in that game against the Philippines that you mentioned you know they were they weren't exactly reeling but when Hiri Hiri and uh, Legasiaka came to came to the crease they were they were four for 76 in the 12th over and it's a real sort of key moment they had a few of those as well similar to us they were four for 65 around the the same time but in that match with Hiri Hiri and Legasiaka and remember Leg has sort of been in and out of the squad as well you know I played against him as part of the Vanuatu team when they played for PNGA in the Pacific Island Cricket Challenge back in March while the the first team were, were in UAE playing so for him to come out of the out of the the second team or out of the squad to come into play a key role is 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 good for them, but also just sort of shows where we're at that we don't have as many young players coming forward. Well, with the bat anyway, I think we're seeing young bowlers emerge for PNG, but it's still a little bit worrying that we don't have much from this from this age group um, with with the bat um, coming through. Looking at a team like Japan, who posed the closest. Uh, challenge to PNG at this point. They would have to beat Vanuatu on the penultimate match day to keep themselves alive and then would need a big win over Papua New Guinea assuming um, assuming that PNG would win tomorrow as well. Talking, have you know had a lot of time with the group from Japan and they're quite upbeat about the way the campaign has gone, they obviously wouldn't have wanted to drop points to, to Papua New Guinea, but I think hand on heart, they'd be satisfied with their campaign thus far. I think one point to maybe take out of their win yesterday as we record against the Philippines was that Kendall Karawaki Fleming was dismissed early and they still managed to post one two seven, which again on paper doesn't look fantastic, but when you factor in the slowness and the toughness of, of this wicket to bat on it, Ended up being far too much from a Filipino standpoint. Uh, discipline with the ball, and Kendall actually was injured. Uh, his back had flared up in his innings, and it meant that he actually sat sat out the fielding innings. And Reo Sakurano Thomas, the vice-captain, took the captaincy reins um, and had to deal not only with bowling himself in situations, and he managed to bring himself and take the responsibility on his own shoulders by bowling at crucial moments and, and bowling well in, in those crucial moments. He was able to, to lead the side with aplomb. And they're a well-organized team too. I'm interested to see how they go the second time around against PNG. They would probably feel, and this is a, a almost a, a cliche of emerging cricket, and I think of PJ Hoodles with this comment and talking about cliche bingo in, in an emerging cricket sort of stakes, but they're probably one good bat away from being a serious challenge to PNG. I think there could well be enough bowling there, good young pace talent, and then the spin of the likes of Piyush Kumbare in the power playovers and at pressure situations as well. Uh, Ibrahim Takahashi is one of my favorite players at the tournament, I think, both with ball and bat. He's made a couple of good contributions with the bat, bowls more than handy off spin. Uh, looking at the rest of the team sort of Going down, uh, Makoto Taniyama probably hasn't had the tournament that he would have liked, but he chimes in with uh, his leg spin. And Saborish Ravichandran, who was player of the match against the Philippines, contributed with the bat, his best innings at the tournament, then came on and bowled some tidy leg spin as well. So there's a lot of talent in that Japanese outfit, and you would think that this team would probably be similar in future pathway events like this uh, in you know two, four, six years' time and 
you know, we might well see a qualifier of this nature going forward held in Sano and they play in home conditions. Japan are a good side, probably a little bit too dependent on Kendall Kadawaki Fleming with the bat. And saying that, as we, as we said, they did manage that win against the Philippines. At this point, pose the biggest threat to PNG in terms of the table. I'm interested to get uh, not just a, a Vanuatu take from you, Tim, but also an emerging cricket take of, of Japan, a, a team that are well run through Dougal Bettingfield, the coach and uh, the head of operations, Alan Kerr, who's the team manager, who you would have heard on the last podcast, uh, basically preview the entire squad, um, giving him his, uh, giving us his time in, in the build-up to the tournament. Uh, what have you made of them? Yeah, I think you summarise them quite well, especially across their their bowlers. I think you know, underestimate anyone at your peril, and I and I think that the Japan squad, as well as the Philippines, that we haven't spoken about yet, uh, that that they're a well-run squad. That each of their bowlers, especially, know their know their roles. You sort of talk through some of those spinners and have the ball sort of turning both ways has been an advantage for them. Um, but yeah, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly around their batting. Whilst they've had um, a couple of innings where other guys have, have, have stood up, I think um, young Suzuki looks like he's got a good future as well. Declan Suzuki showed some potential, and although he hasn't scored as many runs as some of his teammates, he looks like a good one uh, for the future. And yeah, I think that's look coming in. I think we we did know that. Kendall was was the big wicket, and for him to get sixty in the first game against the Philippines, we'd hoped that that would mean that uh, the luck would run out in game two, and he aged one ball just past leg stump, and a couple of balls that just went wide of fielders, and I think it always goes that way when you're not winning games. You always notice that uh, a, a lot more, um, and if you know, I go back to that that match as well. We take that take that catch. You never know. We're probably having a different conversation because I think we could have rolled Japan for under 100 and then we were on our way. But that's the way that cricket goes. I almost said that's the way the cookie crumbles, but uh, that too. But um, yes, I think there's a good blend of, of age and experience in their squad and especially with their their bowlers too. The leg spinner looks like he, he could be in his 40s, but he's only in his early 30s, so he could have another 10 years of, uh, of cricket there too. Yeah, well summed up. And another player who made a start uh, to begin the tournament was Lachlan Yamamoto Lake. I think it was 41 against uh, the Philippines. Tidy fielder as well, boundary rider. Um, they've got, as mentioned, you know, to reiterate in future pathway events, you know, two, four, six years' time, a lot of these guys will still be playing a part. And you've got a number of guys, too, who one didn't make the squad here, but were also. Uh, the graduates, I suppose you can call them, from the Under-19 World Cup campaign of 2020. The Third Gate Brothers, Marcus is actually here uh, working for the JCA from a, a media standpoint, but you would think that he, his batting would, would probably play a bigger part in future pathway events, uh, Ashley as well. So looking at the, the depth and, and the players that they haven't picked here is probably a good indication that they've got a decent group of players. We'll go to the Philippines and Philippines in their own right have played a, a good brand of cricket. It, it's always a fascinating culmination, this East Asia Pacific tournament where I think Tim, you would observing Vanuatu cricket for a couple of years now would uh, probably be in a good position talking about say the philosophies of uh, what's 
kind of been loosely dubbed as, as island cricket and then cricket in the Pacific, as we saw at the sub-regionals as well. Fiji brought their own kind of style. Same with Samoa. Philippines is an interesting unit in that they've got a lot of guys, say, based in Australia who play high-level club cricket in the major cities across across Australia and then guys who are based in the Philippines as well. Uh, they've had a number of guys step up and make handy individual contributions. Daniel Smith is always talking to him as being a joy at this tournament. You know, he speaks with such pride about representing uh, his country of the Philippines and it'll be one thing I certainly take away from the tournament. But they've had guys chip in at different times. Miggy Podoski with that innings against Vanuatu to move the game into their favour. Grant Russ would probably lament the slowness of the batting deck yesterday. He was unbeaten, but just couldn't, you know, sort of get going in that chase against Japan, but he's made runs. Smith has been good with bat and ball. Even the likes of Jordan Allegra, who's injured, has made a start. Uh, Samra has shown quality at the top of the order. And then you look at their young spinners, and it's been a discussion point we've had post-match with Daniel Smith, and he's actually made the point as well. A young bowling group, looking at Kepler Lukis, who's 16 and the youngest player at the tournament, uh, Liam Mild is another product of Australia, a finger spinner, uh, bowls off breaks. He's in his early 20s. Ciro, uh, the leg spinner as well, I think he's either 19 or 20 years old off the top of my head without my notes directly in front of me. So once again, a team that you would fancy, assuming that everyone's available in, in future pathway events. This is a great learning curve for them. And you could easily see a similar team in, in two years' time, also led by someone like Daniel Smith, who would be probably 33, I'd say, by the time they'd come around again. But he's relatively fit, and I can't see why he wouldn't do it. So it's a team that I think this region would have to get used to uh, in terms of the youth coming through and, and playing first 11 cricket for the Philippines. Yeah, I think I was really impressed with the left-arm spinner, as you mentioned, who's Kepler Lukies, who... Look, if you didn't know how old he was, you wouldn't realise yeah. just that he is so young. Um, he got Andrew Mansali with an amazing arm ball. Um, Andrew's first rock in it. It was like watching your favourite pub burn down for me, watching <laughs> an opposition left unorthodox bowl. Such a great arm ball. And on replays, maybe it was slipping down the leg side, but you know that's not what it says in the in the scoreboard book, I should say. And so on, on we go. So And likewise with... Uh, as you mentioned, with Liam Offspinner, first grader from Melbourne, um, early 20s. And yeah, I think the, the the hardest thing for the Philippines coming out of this event is that I think the, the how they got here by dropping back from what was a split global qualifier a few years ago, it's looking more likely that they're going to fall back to a regional event with Japan and the Philippines in there. So if you go by the quality of both sides, it's perhaps unlikely that we're going to see the Philippines again at this at this level, which I guess is disappointing when you look at the the future that you see for some of those those younger players and to actually have that incentive for this team to keep spending money and, and time and effort and being being together as much as they can because as you can see with a lot of these teams they're, they're getting better the more they play they play together. Yeah, I was talking to Daniel Smith uh, in the build up to the tournament and it was some of the audio that was on the podcast last week, it's been a tough preparation. They also had the Southeast Asian Games where they were kind of ambushed, really. They had uh, Singapore in that competition who, 
in a moment of rearguard action, I think were frustrated by some of their own international performances and Singapore were emphatic in the way that they beat Philippines and then they played against a Cambodian side, which that story has been well publicised in the emerging cricket world now too in terms of eligibility and handing out passports to, to players to represent Cambodia at the Southeast Asian Games. Um, I'm sure we haven't heard the end of that situation uh, as well, considering that most of that was actually done after the eligibility cutoff date too. So they've been unlucky, but they are a great group of men. You know, you watch them train, there's a good energy there, see them at breakfast as well. Uh, they come up and, and say hello. The, the energy is good. And Daniel was saying that, you know, they have Zoom meetings sometimes, you know, almost once a week there for a period to just talk cricket and get to know each other a little bit better. And yeah, Kepaluki's also dismissed Asad Vala at the tournament. You know, if, again, maybe you would have put Kendall in the conversation as well as the best batter at the tournament. But Asad, in terms of international cricket, is the most credentialed and for the youngest player at the tournament to remove him with a swinging sort of arm ball uh, to remove him LBW, that is, that's a moment that Kepler-Lukis will probably remember for almost the rest of his life, no matter where he ends up in in his cricketing career growing up. Maybe just, a, I suppose, a final summary here, Tim, of, of how the tournament has gone and Port Moresby being the venue here in PNG, there's been a couple of sort of logistical hurdles in the case of it being here. Be interested to see in you know future pathway events at regional finals if they come to PNG again. But you know you look at Japan who have put together an unbelievable Sano Center, begging for some more international competition. Uh, the hybrid wicket at Corman at the VCG passed all the tests during the sub-regional tournament as well. Uh, we've seen sub-regional events in the Philippines as well, in Das Marinas. Uh, maybe just a, a comment of, I suppose, the, the positives and negatives of having the tournament here in PNG. Positives, I think it's great for PNG cricket and cricket in the country. They've been so starved of top-class cricket here with so many of their series during... World Cricket League, World Cricket League, Cricket World Cup <laughs> League 2. Geez, that's a blast from the past, isn't it? Um, having to be moved elsewhere and also teams not really being willing to tour. So for a, such an enthusiastic home crowd, it, it's great for them. And, and then as a cricketing nation, however, you know, the frustrations coming here, both, I guess, from Japan and, and Vanuatu's point of view that um, could have also hosted it. You know, all of the challenges of being here, especially it's not a hit-and-run type tour. You're not here for a couple of days and in and out again. You know, it does really feel like you're in some some type of, of quarantine. I know that you're at a different hotel a few kilometres away and travel between anywhere is, is difficult, trying to get taxis and whatnot where you feel safe. And it's the only time I've been in a security briefing where you're basically told not to take anything out and not to be out after dark by yourself. Um, and how cheap life is here for some people. So to to basically um, use your your mind and your sort of risk management, it's a little bit frustrating um, that you'd be hosting a, a tournament in a place where that's the situation and the expense that that then brings for, for transport. Um, yeah, so look, I completely understand why it's here um, and considering PNG are very much the big siblings, both in men's and women's cricket, um, but I, as you said, there's there's facilities 
within Japan, if you're looking at turf wickets and also Vanuatu with a with a hybrid wicket with only one ground that, that could surely host an event like this as well. So I guess as time goes on and knowing that we're going to have a regional final every two years, um, I guess it'd be great to see other countries have the, the chance to host as well. Yeah, I don't have a whole lot to add uh, on top of that. And yeah, just to wrap up the East Asia Pacific final for the ICC Men's T20 World Cup, a guaranteed T20 World Cup spot for the winner here. And at uh, the time of this episode going out, PNG could well have already secured that ticket. But as of right now, they've all but done so, uh, even if net run rate was to come in to the equation. We'll move in and talk briefly about the European qualifier. But before we get to that, uh, there is a sub-regional qualifier from the Asian region going on that's only just started and we'll talk about this competition in more depth in future episodes. But the Men's T20 World Cup Asia B qualifier saw a T20I debut for China. Uh, and that, unfortunately for them, was not the headline of the story that we want to talk about. Uh, Siazril Idris, uh, a seamer from Malaysia managed to take world record T20i figures on the men's side with figures of seven for eight, just bowled the one maiden. And if you are to look at the dismissals, uh, all of them were bowled, uh, bowled, bowled. And then we saw Pavandeep Singh uh, take a wicket, a catch, bowled, Siazril, bowled Siazril, bowled Siazril, bowled Siazril, uh, stumping at the other end with Pavandeep picking up a second and then, uh, bowled Siazril before VJ Uni took uh, the wicket of legs 11, bowled out for 23. And then one of our favourite players in the Emerging Cricket uh, podcast side is actually was out first ball in the pursuit of 24. But to stick to, I suppose, the record, and I think one thing that I, I really want to make a point of, Tim, is that it might just be the dodgy internet in my digs here in Port Moresby, but I haven't seen too much pushback in terms of the world record itself and the awarding, as we know, a few years back of T20I status to every single member. Um, maybe in terms of cricketing discourse and emerging associate cricket discourse, I think maybe this is the the sort of a, a positive step or, or or something that we're we're seeing less of now, and and maybe that the idea and the mindset of of cricket statisticians and record keepers maybe uh, everyone's just moved on a little bit more. It's a beautiful dream, isn't it, Daniel? I, the fact that we haven't had anyone call upon the ICC to rescind the T20 international status of China is, uh, to me, it probably just shows that some people have just not seen the highlights yet um, of that that's been that's been put out. But um, yeah, I think uh, China not long ago was a, a great hope of the ICC to for cricket to take on and for it to be a, a superpower. And I think the men's team were probably never quite there. It was more centered around the, the success or the potential of the women's team. And they've gone backwards. And I think it shows again with the men, with some of the shots being played to fairly straight bowling, yeah, tailing a little bit, but guys running down the wicket and trying to hit him over his head on their first ball when he'd already just taken three wickets and that in that, that over probably shows where we're at with, with cricket in China, unfortunately. But... Uh, Yes, um, I think it was one of the few things shared this week from uh, from associate regional tournaments with very little being shared across channels. I think we got a little bit for the hat trick here in uh, for, for PNG and, and one or two things other, which has been probably the bigger 
disappointment for me rather than people calling for China's T20 international status to be rescinded. I think we've got two amazing tournaments here and for the first time, direct qualification from the regions for a, a senior World Cup. Of course, we've had that for under-19 World Cups for, for over a decade now, but to see how little airtime that's getting across the, the ICC's digital channels after, you know, we're really appreciative that the increased investment in these events, you know, the ICC are now paying for 15 players and five officials were playing with Kookaburra turf balls rather than regulations. Um, so there's already hundreds of thousands of dollars extra being paid there, but it's intriguing that with such a more high-profile event in these these regional events that there's little to no mention of it on, on ICC channels. So, yeah, I think uh, where there might be the headline about China and people wanting to talk about them, I'm, I'm a bit more frustrated that nobody around the world is hearing what's happening in Port Moresby or in Edinburgh. It's almost like we should start a podcast talking about uh, associate cricket, Tim. We'll go to Europe and I'm sure Nick will have a little bit more to add in this regard and a huge shout out to Nick in a different time zone to us helping with the pod this week. But it looks as if Scotland and Ireland are going to cruise to those two spots in Europe. And it is worth reiterating that the Netherlands, had they not made the Super 12s at the T20 World Cup last year in 2022, would have been tough work with three going into two. But looking at the table now, Scotland and Ireland at the time of recording, four wins from four. Jersey... uh, despite being in third place, uh, mathematically eliminated. They've played five matches and, and lost three. Germany uh, alive alongside Italy, although the two teams play each other. So uh, we'll eat away at points there at the back end of the tournament. Uh, Denmark, it's probably been a, a frustrating tournament with them in terms of Hamid Shah having to leave and come back. Uh, one win from four. And Austria, who you could probably argue, not making up the numbers, but they were fortuitous in terms of getting through their sub-regional and in the end they've been found out at, at this point in this tournament and at least in this cycle uh, 0 from 5 been a couple of huge innings especially on the Scotland side of things Ollie Hares blazed 100 uh, George Munsey blazed 100 Brandon McMullen alongside Hares was overshadowed which is you know incredible especially when you hit 96 in quick time in a T20 international uh, Nick Greenwood's been good from a jersey point of view. He's made 204 runs in this tournament. And then looking at the bowlers, it's been, I think, quick bowlers who have in sort of in complete, uh, almost at the opposite end of the spectrum here to the Pacific qualifier. We've seen quick bowlers make, hey, Mark Adair, 11 wickets, Gavin Main 10, Gareth Berg, 10. So we haven't had a huge opportunity to watch, especially the afternoon fixtures here because of the time difference. And I'm sure... Nick will have more on this, but uh, again, the regional qualifying rather than the global qualifying is, I suppose, making it somewhat easier in certain regions for teams to qualify, like the likes of Scotland and Ireland. But again, that comes down to what the Dutch did at the last T20 World Cup. But then if you were to look to Asia, you've got three or four teams competing for two spots in that region, and that's ultimately going to be a very difficult qualifier. But sticking to Europe, uh, we've seen... Scotland step up and I suppose maybe a word on Ireland too, Tim, in terms of the disappointment of the Cricket World Cup to, to come out and, and play the way they have and, and bounce back and be 
rather emphatic. I know these two, Scotland and Ireland, will play each other on the last day and that will be an intriguing contest. But yeah, it looks as if uh, both of those teams are relatively safe. Yes, and I think you mentioned it with Hamid Shah for, for Denmark was going to be key. And I think if there was any challenge to either Ireland or Scotland, it was going to come from, well, one of three teams, Denmark, who I think with uh, Nikolai at the top, we really had power and potential to take games away from teams and, and put the likes of Scotland or Ireland on the, on the back foot. Italy with their array of sort of first-class experience, both within Europe and, and, and Australia, but uh, also Jersey that we know are the, the little scrappers that do so well and punch above their weight for such a small um, catchment and uh, an island um, that I guess it's unfortunately gone the way that we'd that, that most punters would have would have backed. But as you say, for Ireland, after such a disappointing World Cup qualifier, this will be heartening for them but also it doesn't mean that they still shouldn't be looking very hard at uh, at, at what's gone in and behind the scenes to to have such a a performance like they they did in Zimbabwe but uh, now as you as you said that if it wasn't for the Netherlands this would have been a very very different tournament and there'd be a lot more conversation about it considering the three teams that would have been trying to fit into those those two Europe places I think that's all the news that we have at our end here in Port Moresby another lovely day here albeit fraction hot probably going to enjoy a late lunch now so for us in the pacific it's uh goodbye and enjoy the rest of the east asia pacific icc men's t20 world cup qualifier on icc tv and fan code in uh parts of asia we'll be right back